everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel and ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Patrick. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you listeners to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We are uh, coming out to you on Thanksgiving morning here uh, because Thanksgiving, of course, is always on a Thursday, and uh, and our podcast comes out on a Thursday, so why not combine the two together here? So, Patrick, do you have big, exciting plans for Thanksgiving today? Uh, nothing too much. Uh, just going to see some family who are all here local in the Atlanta area and uh, try not to eat too much turkey and maybe get an easy run at the end of the day. <laughs> right on. So so you say an easy run at the end of the day. You're not actually doing a, a Thanksgiving turkey trot race or anything like that? That is correct. All right. Very good. I am not either since I, I just ran a marathon, but more about that later on. Uh, you did mention eating too much turkey. I was, uh, when preparing for the, the podcast today, and this is our short research podcast today, but I, uh, I found that there's research from a group called the Calorie Control Council says that on Thanksgiving, the average American may consume more than 4,500 calories. Um, About a third of that, 1,500 calories, would be from snacking. And then the traditional holiday dinner with turkey and all the trimmings is uh, is about 3,000 calories. Um, Where do you think you're going to come in there? Definitely under the 3,000 calories. No (laughs) doubt about it. You you know, everyone takes... Go ahead. I say everyone takes a different approach to Thanksgiving. Uh, I had a few years where I would just crush the Thanksgiving plate and then <laughs> fall asleep, and then I realized I miss seeing family, which I only get to see a few times a year. So yeah. now I always go a little light on the on the big Thanksgiving meal. I got you. Very good. Yeah. At one point, actually, as I was looking through all this stuff, I happened across an article uh, from this Calorie Control Council, as a matter of fact, that had. Um, the calorie counts of all of these traditional Thanksgiving foods. And I thought about like actually listing those and talking about them here, but I don't want to wreck anybody's Thanksgiving by actually listing these calorie counts of various things. The interesting thing about it, though, was in looking at them, seeing the various things that people have on Thanksgiving that I don't necessarily have on Thanksgiving. Things like, like clam chowder and oysters and stuff like that that is just not part of my Atlanta, Georgia... Thanksgiving tradition, <laughs> you know. Wow, Sam Chow, that must be like Boston or New so, England. Oh, or totally, totally. And there were oysters at the first Thanksgiving, so I mean that kind of makes sense. But still, um, there was also another thing that I happened across here that I thought was interesting. Um, the American Farm Bureau Federation, the AFBF, um, they released their 33rd annual survey of thanks Thanksgiving dinner food prices. Um, and they found that the cost of this year's typical Thanksgiving feast is the lowest in eight years. So good to know. Um, here's what they did. To, to gather information, they, they enlisted volunteer shoppers from around the country to check out the prices of the individual items found on a typical Thanksgiving table for a dinner of 10 people. So it includes turkey, of course, um, the usual sides, stuffing, sweet potatoes, rolls, butter, peas, cranberries, a veggie tray, pumpkin pie, whipped cream, coffee, and milk. Um, and they gathered uh, data from 166 individuals in 37 states. And so the total average cost from those 166 shoppers across 37 states for the Thanksgiving dinner for 10 people was $48.90. So almost $5 per person there. Um, and it was $0.22 cents cheaper than the total cost of last year's Thanksgiving dinner. Good to know, right? Yeah. I got to say, these two uh, committees that 
you know, <laughs> Calorie Counting Committee and the Farm Bureau Association. These sound like real barn burners of uh, groups of people to see with. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, I'm sure they have some wild Christmas parties. In yeah. those you know, the American Farm Bureau Federation, uh, the AFBF, it's funny to me that they released this. And it's again, it's their 33rd annual survey here. There's another group that you've probably seen over the course of the past several years that over the course of the past 30 years or so has always released the price of the 12 days of Christmas as an indicator of how much our economy has changed over the course of the last several years or decades. Have you seen that before? And so they, I have they, not, no. And so, so, and they always release it close to Christmas. And so maybe as we get closer to Christmas here, we'll, we'll actually talk about it. But they'll say, okay, if you were to buy a partridge in a pear tree, two turtle doves, three French hens, five golden rings, um, you know, all that sort of thing, if you were to buy all of that stuff uh, for your true love, how much would it cost? Um, and, and, you know, at this point it's thousands of dollars and cause you're, you know, pipers piping and maids and milking and all that sort of thing. Those prices can certainly add up. Um, but anyway, anyway, um, so, so the, the greatest decrease in price, by the way, on that list of things they had people buying milk, sweet potatoes, green peas, and rolls have all gone down in price over the course of the last eight years. Um, fresh cranberries, pumpkin pie mix, um, bread stuffing, uh, nine-inch pie shells, and a veggie tray. All of those have actually gone up in price over the course of the last short while here. So, you know, let those guide some of your holiday food choices, I suppose, um, if you're going by price. <laughs> um, I also saw something the other day that said something like 12, 10 to 12% of all cranberries that are consumed in the United States are consumed on Thanksgiving Day. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know when else we have cranberries, so... Yeah, I mean, craisins are kind of a big deal, right? You put them in salads and all that sort of thing. But, but yeah, no, I definitely don't tend to have cranberries a whole lot except for when I'm having a lawn with turkey on Thanksgiving. Um, so, anyway, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Um, we did want to do some, some kind of Thanksgiving-themed research here, or at least things that, that are brought to mind when we think about Thanksgiving. So, uh, do you want to go first, Patrick? Uh, sure, absolutely. So, I, I can pull up my research here. Mine, believe it or not, now we're talking about Thanksgiving and eating, is about tryptophan. Okay, I'm sure most of our listeners and you too, George, probably have at least one, you know, dad or uncle at Thanksgiving dinner who, you know, crushes a few plates and then makes their way to the, re- the comfortable recliner, leans back and falls asleep for the rest of the afternoon or evening. Oh yeah, and then wakes up and pl- promptly blames the tryptophan and the turkey for the fact that they had to take an afternoon snooze. Um, it's almost part of the Thanksgiving tradition, like, you know, football or, or turkey. It's, it's, you know, really, if, if we didn't have our dad and granddad uh, falling asleep in the recliner, it just wouldn't be Thanksgiving in the Ollinger household. You know, it's, it's, funny. So, it's, it's funny talking about, like, the, the role of it in pop culture almost or, or in public consciousness. Um, if you look at the names of Thanksgiving Day road races, a lot of them are called the turkey trot, a lot of them are called the gobble jog, um, and then I've known an increasing number of them are called like the tryptophan half marathon or the tryptophan 5K. Have you seen that before? I've seen a few, but I never noticed a trend until you just mentioned it. So but yeah, I, that's kind I, of a I, new... I've definitely noticed a trend. I'll have to Google it once we're done with this to see whether whether it's just me looking at the same race over and over and over again or whether it, in fact, is, is something that's becoming more widespread. But anyway, point being is that, yeah, everybody now knows what tryptophan is. So take it away. All right, so, you know, on Thanksgiving Day, tryptophan intake, you know, it's it's kind of what's blamed for a lot of the, you know, afternoon snoozing um, and kind of the low energy level you have after your, your big Thanksgiving meal. However, an article published in a 2007 edition of the, of the Journal of Psychiatry and Neuroscience notes that purified tryptophan K2 
can increase brain levels of serotonin. However, foods containing tryptophan do not. Okay, so let me kind of unpack that statement a bit. Okay. So serotonin, uh, as, as you may know, um, is a neurotransmitter found in the brain and is best known for its role in managing depression and sleep cycles, mm-hmm. right? So that, that's kind of the two big um, areas that that, that hormone um, affects in your life. And it, it's actually used, tryptophan is actually used in some sleep aids and antidepressants to help increase levels of serotonin. And serotonin is um, the hormone that your body releases to kind of put you to sleep along with melatonin, mm-hmm. in my incredibly basic understanding. Mm-hmm. But this study found that foods containing tryptophan don't actually increase the brain levels of serotonin like we originally suspected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting because then I do have to wonder why it is that we feel so sleepy at the end of our big Thanksgiving meal. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that it's not the tryptophan that's solely responsible for your post-feast fatigue. It's more a combination of A, enjoying a giant holiday meal, B, probably having midday drinks along with that meal, mm-hmm. and then C, eating a meal that is loaded with very heavy foods such as mashed potatoes, dinner rolls, dressing, and pie. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of all the simple carbs that, you know, kind of cause your blood sugar to spike when you initially eat it and then drop significantly once you kind of have time to move away from the table and make your way to the recliner. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting because I have spent the last 31 years of my life thinking that, uh, you know, turkey and tryptophan were like the two key ingredients of a happy Thanksgiving, <laughs> you know, to kind of go with the, the big meal and then the big post-meal nap. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting to think about what it is that actually makes you sleepy, mm-hmm. because not only does that kind of have some takeaways that you can learn from on Thanksgiving Day, but also in your own life, just kind of day to day when thinking about your kind of daily rhythm and your, your daily cycle for you know when you're sleepy, when you're energetic, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So a, a total shocker to everybody who's listening to this podcast that mine somehow <laughs> goes back to sleep. Even though the study itself was was about turkey and tryptophan, right. but what are your takeaways from from that study and from that finding? Okay, first of all, I should say that I I am done making fun of you about sleep, and we're going to talk about my experience at the Mar- at the Philadelphia Marathon in a later podcast in a couple of weeks here. But um, but but yeah, no, I, I I gave you a hard time for having research upon research upon research about about sleep. But I actually applied the research, and I had a good race, and I think it's in, in part because of the application of the specific sleep research that you shared on this podcast. And so I give you credit for that. And so, so no, no longer will I make fun of you about sleep stuff. Um, but you're welcome, by the way. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and, and of course, I'm I take I take full credit for your race. <laughs> so, so I'm glad you said that because because yeah, here I am praising you and not saying the, the simplest thank you. But, but anyway. Um, uh, yeah, no, of course it makes perfect sense, um, that, 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 no, it's not this one chemical that you find in Turkey. Um, it's, it's the fact that you have this 3000 calorie meal, um, and you wallop your body with that and then potentially, uh, uh, have some drinks, like you mentioned, and the food's all super heavy. And then there's also the fact that you can take a nap on a Thursday. You know, I, I would, I would venture that most adults and even like most teenagers and above most most adults given the opportunity to take a nap in the afternoon could probably take a nap 
like like just they're they're carrying 100 they're just carrying around enough residual fatigue in their life to where they could take a nap but day after day on a thursday you know week after week on thursdays you don't get the opportunity to take a nap and so you just become accustomed to not taking a nap on thursday but then along comes thanksgiving and you have this gigantic meal and you're like you know what i could take a nap I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so, so I think that has a lot to do with it as well. I, I, I will say, um, on a more serious note, I do think it's kind of interesting that the way that, that we've, we've sort of put it on tryptophan and we said, oh, that's the reason why we get, we get really, really sleepy and fall asleep. Not the fact that we just ate a gigantic, massive 3,000-calorie meal that is likely the largest meal of the entire year for most Americans. And so it's almost like we found a culprit for making us sleepy that enabled us to still have our gigantic meal. Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it shifted, yeah. And like it shifted the, and the human body the, the, was clearly not created to consume 3000 calories. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, I just think it's funny that we, we shift the blame off the massive meal um, onto this like sort of obscure hormone that nobody's ever heard of before <laughs> and 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 say, oh, no, no, it's the tryptophan. So we can keep on eating our gigantic meals, but maybe just cut back on the turkey a little bit. Maybe just cut back on the healthiest thing in the meal uh, just a little bit, and then we won't be quite so sleepy afterwards. <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty clever approach on our part collectively, I would say. Um, right, no good. one's blaming the sugar in the pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's like, you know what? I don't want to take a nap afterwards, so maybe I should should not have a drink here, or maybe I should have one less helping of, of mashed potatoes with gravy. Everybody's like, oh, well, a little bit less, a uh, little bit less turkey, so I don't have the tryptophan here. So, <laughs> very good. Um, all right, so mine is is a little bit different, and actually, I'm going to do something here that I've never done on the uh, the most pleasant podcast, uh, most pleasant is awesome podcast before. I'm actually going to repeat a piece of research that that I talked about uh, several months ago. Um, but just as I was looking through various pieces of research and and was thinking about it, I was like, you know, this is a good one here. Um, it's not only a good one because it has to do with eating a great deal, um, but it also is a good one because here we are um, on November 22nd. Um, at the end of the year, and most people, not everybody, but but most folks, particularly folks who do long course triathlons to whom this actually very much applies, have done their big target race. Um, and, and so mine is actually about training the gut, or so-called training the gut. Um, and, and it's based on this idea that, that researchers have often said in the lab that you need to consume up to 90 grams of carbohydrate an hour, which would be about four gels in an hour uh, during a marathon or an ultra marathon or an Ironman or a half Ironman or any of these kind of long events here. 90 carbohydrates an hour, four gels an hour, but virtually nobody can do that. Most people can't just you know throw down four gels an hour for several hours at a time. Um, and so one thing that we always talk about when we're talking about training marathoners and ultramarathoners, and particularly long course triathletes, is training the gut. You have to train your body to be able to take in calories, um, but still move you forward down the course, right? Um, and so right. that has always kind of become this, this uh, sort of staple of training for long course triathletes. But last year, in May of 2017, there was a group of uh, Austrian researchers uh, wanted to test whether you could, in fact, train your gut. Um, and uh, they, they released a paper on it in the Scandinavian Journal of Science and Medicine and Sports, 
Um, and it was entitled Two Weeks of Repetitive Gut Challenge Reduce Exercise Associated Gastrointestinal Symptoms and Malabsorption. Um, and so what they did is they took, they took runners. They, they did it entirely with runners. Um, and they took 18 runners who were already trained. And we've already talked a great deal while that's important that they were already trained runners. These were experienced runners that they actually took, 18 of them. And they had them do two hours of steady running. So, so not hard running, but just kind of, and, and not even brisk running, um, but, but just maybe one slight step above easy. So, so two hours of steady running while consuming 90 grams of carbohydrate um, uh, per hour. Um, and they did it, by the way, as a side note, in a two-to-one glucose-to-fructose ratio, um, and so so it had more complex carbohydrates in it than simple sugars, and you'll see that kind of broken down on your gels and, and stuff like that as well. Um, we can talk about that uh, some other time. Um, and then as they got to the end of the two hours, they then turned up the speed on the treadmill, and they had one more hour of running as hard as they possibly could. Um, so this is a three-hour test. This is three hours of running they had to do in order to do this test. So pretty hard, right? Um, and it was that one-hour time trial after two hours worth of running that they, they really kind of took a close attention to. Um, in the initial test, 100% of the test subjects, every single one of them, all 18 of them, experienced at least what they called moderate gastrointestinal symptoms. And 67% of them, two-thirds of them, that would be 12 of them, experienced severe symptoms of gastrointestinal distress. And that could be everything from, from bloating and burping all the way up to like vomiting and things like that. Um, and so, you know, significant performance compromising issues that they were having. Um, in addition, 61% of them had signs of carbohydrate malabsorption, which I think is super important here. Um, in other words, some of the fuel wasn't getting to the muscles where it was needed. Um, that, that taking in that much carbohydrates at one time, um, your body couldn't process it enough, and so your body wasn't absorbing it. Um, and as someone once said to me, it doesn't, you, you're not what you eat, you are what you absorb. And so if you're not actually absorbing the carbohydrates, then there's no point in actually eating them. Um, so after that, after they, they did that initial test where 100% of them experienced at least moderate GI symptoms and two-thirds of them experienced severe symptoms and 61% of them experienced uh, malabsorption, they did just two weeks of gut training. Um, over the course of two weeks, they did 10 one-hour runs. Um, and, and in those one-hour runs, they took in that 90 grams of carbohydrate. Um, and so that, that, again, that recommended amount, the amount that didn't work for everybody before, right? So, so they either took in 90, 90 grams of carbohydrates or they took in a placebo during that time. Um, and then after two weeks, they repeated the same trial. So two hours of easy, steady running there on the treadmill, taking in 90 grams of carbohydrates each hour. So four gels each hour there. Um, and then they ran a hard hour at the end here. Um, and what they found is that most participants, more than 50%, still reported some GI symptoms. Um, so, so it was not, um, there was a reduction in it, um, but most people still had a hard time. It wasn't 100%, but it was still most people. Um, but they found that the carbohydrate training group reported a 44% reduction in gut discomfort and a 60% reduction in total GI symptoms. Um, they also, the, the group that actually trained with the 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour over the course of the two weeks between the two trials, had less carbohydrate malabsorption than the placebo group. And perhaps most importantly, that group actually improved their time trial performance. Um, they actually ran 0.6 kilometers farther on average, um, 600 meters farther on average, uh, while the placebo group didn't actually improve over the course of that two weeks. Um, and so 
training their gut for a short period of time over the course of two weeks not only re resulted in less discomfort, it resulted in higher levels of, of absorption of the carbohydrates and perhaps most importantly, improved performance on the, uh, the final one hour time trial itself. So takeaway for me is that you can train your gut. There, there is actually some, some evidence behind it. What about you, Patrick? What do you think? Yeah, same, same real key takeaway. And that is that in many ways, your, your, your genes are not your destiny. Um, you know, even if something as simple as eating and, and consuming carbs and, and the right kind of carbs mm -hmm. is something we can train, which is kind of fascinating when you really think about it, because often, more often than not, we think of food and kind of the way we, we react to food as an end game or, or something that's kind of predetermined. But mm -hmm. it's amazing to think that the human body, we can actually train yeah. how our stomach reacts to food. Yeah. I mean, because we're, we're used to thinking about, oh, if I lift weights, you know, I will go from lifting five pound dumbbells to 10 pound dumbbells. Um, but you know, it's, it, it, we don't think about being able to train our gut or or an internal organ quite like that. Yeah. So definitely it, it's pretty fascinating to think about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's, and it's also, it's, it's also, I, I think two more things. I think you're totally right. Um, I think it's uplifting to think about it as well. I mean, because, because they, they call in triathlon, they call nutrition, the fourth discipline, swimming, biking, running nutrition. Um, because, because particularly in long course triathlon, that can just wreck things. Um, you know, if, if you're vomiting on the run course, that's obviously going to, to influence how well you're able to cover the distance on the run course. You know, it just, it just won't work for you. Um, and so the fact that you can train that just the same way that you can train your swimming, cycling, or your running, um, that's an uplifting thing. That's a good thing, right? Um, and so I think that's really, really good. Um, uh, yeah, we, we, we were in control of that sort of thing. Um, I was thinking something else about it too, but, but I lost it for a second. So you say something else while, while it comes back to me here. Um, other thoughts from you on this study? Uh, my thought is, since I am not as uh, privy to the to the triathlon world as you are, I love the idea of the fourth discipline, <laughs> right? Because so many new, I'd say in the marathon, so many new marathoners, they do the long runs, they do the easy runs, they're ready to go, and then it's the nutrition where they drop the ball. Yeah. Because it's just not something you think about because you can get through your easy runs, you can get through your long runs even mm -hmm. without proper nutrition, obviously. Yeah. But to race a marathon, you have to do the nutri you have to nail the nutrition. It's yeah. something it's not something you can think about on race day or it's not something you could just say, well, I'll eat when I'm hungry or I'll grab a gel when I'm hungry. Right. So it's just to think about we're running such a long race that you're actually having to train how your body consumes food and yeah. carbs. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the other thing that I was thinking about that I knew I'd think of as soon as you started talking is and, and it's related right in with what you were talking about that. In the same way that I've often said that, that nobody likes to run when they're out of shape or there's nothing worse than running when you're out of shape and everybody likes to run or there's nothing better to running than, than when you're in shape, um, I think that one kind of roadblock to actually doing this is that, yeah, trying to train yourself to get through those GI symptoms is probably really nasty. Um, you know what I mean? Um, like, like having to say, all right, the most I can consume in an hour, like nailing down the most I can consume in an hour is 30 grams. Like finding that out and then saying, okay, now I'm going to go up to 35 grams. Now I'm going to go up to 40 grams. Now I'm going to go up to 45. That's probably a, a, a process that is fraught with some real discomfort and ugliness. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and so mm -hmm. I, I, I can appreciate why somebody would just be like, yeah, I'm not going to train this. I'm not going to do this. And just I'm going to hope for the best on race day, um, which is never a good mm -hmm. strategy. 
um, you, I, I, I can appreciate and understand why somebody would not want to actually try and train their belly um, because, yeah, it's, it's probably a difficult and, and, and very potentially ugly process. Yeah. Well, all right, that has it for our research here on our, on our Thanksgiving edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Any other final words here, Patrick? Uh, I would say the theme of this podcast is there's no excuse to not get your easy run in on Thanksgiving, <laughs> no matter how much tryptophan you consume. And if nothing else, maybe you need to train yourself or train your gut to be able to run after eating a nice meal. Exactly. Uh, right. So like, everybody, yeah. maybe you can you enjoy can... your Thanksgiving. Yeah, enjoy your Thanksgiving and enjoy your meal. But then get out, get on the run, and you know, burn off some of the calories and enjoy this nice fall weather we're having. And and, and take advantage of the opportunity to train your gut a little bit with that with that full belly. So there you go. Very good. Uh, well, happy Thanksgiving, uh, everybody. Thanks for being with us. And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. Once again, you can reach out to me, George, at george at itlcoaching.com. You can reach out to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com. You can send us an email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, at itlcoaching on Twitter, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash performance. Finally, of course, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and on Instagram, instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. On behalf of Patrick Ollander, this is George Darden. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Thank you.